is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 179, recorded on Wednesday, October 15th, 2014. It sure is, and this is our feedback show, our first feedback show of season five. Of course, we will be reading all of your feedback from the premiere, No Sanctuary. That's an alliteration. First feedback show of season five. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the best alliteration <laughs> I've ever heard, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's the f first fancy feedback show of season five? Yeah, if season started with an F, it would be even better. Season five. <laughs> it, it can if you try hard enough. I suppose, yeah, if you really want it to. <laughs> Very good. Before we start into the feedback, we have some calls. We have lots of emails. There's tons this time, so uh, we'll get into it in a second. But the first thing I want to do is talk about the Record Your Favorite Scene contest one more time. In case you haven't been paying attention, what we are asking you to do is pick a scene from any season of The Walking Dead and record it. Get together with your friends, your family, or do it on your own as a monologue. Um, somehow record it, commit it to a digital format, and email it in to us. You can also just call uh, or go to our website and click send a voicemail and do it that way too. Um, if you want, that's even easier. But these days with, with people walking around with smartphones in their pockets everywhere they go, they all have voice recorders, so just record it. You can email it straight in to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. That's going to run for the duration of season five, and you can pick a scene from any season you want. We did this last year, and in case you want to go and hear some of last year's entries, which I think might be fun or maybe provide some inspiration... They were all played, I played all of them on episode number 160 of the podcast. Oh, okay. So a little while ago. And if you go to the website, well, 160 will still be on iTunes, so you can find it there. Or if you go to the, uh, the website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, you can search for contest entries and it should uh, come right up too. Or just go back a couple pages and you'll find it. It's not that hard. Well 160. That's the one you did without me, right? That is the one I did. The one right. episode I did without you. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're pointing that out again that uh, Chris uh, neglected to call me, tell me, warn me in any way, and just did an episode all, all on his own without telling me. It, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I hadn't planned to do it. In fact, I hadn't, all I did was record an intro for like a couple of minutes and then string all of the entries from last year together. So, yeah, you should have been there, but I figured you would have been in bed already at that time. Oh, yeah. I'd be asleep now if it wasn't for this podcast. <laughs> well, that's good. In that case, we better uh, move right ahead right away. If <laughs> yeah. I could get that out of my mouth. <laughs> Unless you want to just uh, record me snoring for half an hour. That's not interesting feedback. No. But this might be. Listener feedback. Do you know what I like about these feedback shows? What do you like about these feedback shows, Christopher? The the uh, the talking or the reading of emails is evened out between us. It's really nice. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing. First one, <laughs> the first one is a phone call, and it comes from Nerla in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. This is Nerla from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I just want to say that can we nominate Carol as the best character on the show now after watching the premiere? Thanks, bye. So short and sweet. Thank you, Nerla. Carol, 
best character on the show. And I would like to add to that. I think Nerla may be on to something here because when you think about Carol as a character, she started way back in season one as, um, you know, the wife of Ed, right? Ed was his name. Yes. And he was abusive to her and she was very timid and afraid. And when you consider how far she's come and what she pulled off in the season one uh, premiere, sorry, season five premiere, it's really quite astounding the the difference that she has displayed as a character from season one to season five. And I think she may have undergone the biggest transformation of anybody on this show. I would agree with that. And I really like Carol's uh, progression from season one till now. And uh, she's definitely killed a lot of uh, of people <laughs> and uh, committed murder and mayhem, which is which is okay. And uh, Nerla, if you nominate Carol, I will second that nomination. And uh, uh, what is it? Uh, how, do, how does it go? I'm not sure how to run meetings. Uh, uh, approved? Agreed? Uh, in favor? <laughs> you're in favor. You're raising your hand in favor. Okay. Do you sit? Are you uh, all in favor? Uh, aye. Opposed? The ayes have it. She's the. Uh, I don't have a gavel. Uh, she's been. Uh, she's the best character of this episode. I, I, she certainly. Oh, well, of the of the whole show, she certainly um, is up there on the list. But at the same time, most of the characters you could argue are uh, pretty impressive and and well written and just composed very well. So, yeah, Carol's a good choice. Good. All right. Next, we have a call from Tim in Boston on the IMDb rating for this episode. Yeah, I think this is the one Tim's audio quality is not amazing but uh, let's play it anyway Hi Chris and Jason this is Tim from Boston I just wanted to make the comment that this episode was hands down one of the best episodes from the whole season the whole show Um, I went on IMDB to see what the rating was and people actually gave it a 9.7 rating which I went and looked back at the older episodes and the only other episode to get such a high rating was from season four, uh, episode eight, Too Far Gone um, with the governor. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Love the podcast. Thanks for all you guys do. Thanks, Tim. Uh, so just a note on that quality. Tim did use the send voicemail button on our website. And obviously there are a lot of variables that go into how that sounds. But when you do use that, you don't have to like get right up into it and yell into it. His, is, his audio was kind of distorted. So I don't know. Maybe it was just something weird. But uh Usually, most computers will pick up your your voice well enough that you can just speak normally and uh, to hopefully not overpower it. Anyways, on to Tim's point. This episode was the highest rated on IMDb. It equaled one other episode, which was the mid-season finale in season four last year. And that is, of course, the one where the governor attacks the prison and basically destroys it and sends everybody scattering into the woods. Oh, this this episode was way better than that, in my opinion. Really? Yeah, I would think so. What I, I well, I, I I do think so. It's my opinion. I agree with you that it was better. <laughs> I I don't think that episode was bad by any stretch. No, no, that episode was not bad. This episode was better. It was. It's interesting that those two sort of episodes. What I see these having in common, though, is that they're both very action-heavy episodes. Right? We have the governor attacking the prison, lots of fighting, lots of chaos, mayhem, all that kind of stuff. And here, when they're escaping term- terminus, we have the same sort of feel to it. Right? And right. I would say that this episode is better because it has all that. Plus, it has, um, you know, uh, 
a shocking surprise at the end. It's got emotional moments uh, with the reunions of all the characters, which season four, episode eight, didn't necessarily have. I don't remember exactly all the details of that one, but uh, you're right. I think the first episode of season five is better than that one, and they both score a 9.7. Either way, they're two of the top sort of of the whole show, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, moving right along, we got a call from Danny in the UK. Hi, guys. I'm Danny from the UK. Um, I wanted to leave a message with my holy crap moment, which is the long-haired guy who gets let out of the train car and attacks Glenn is the very same guy who throws Mary back into the train car and takes the other girl and smacks Gareth around the face, explaining everything's not going to be all right. And it just shows that Gareth and Mary, when they took over Terminus, they seemed to be holding the people for a long time, obviously with his hair and beard growing that amount. Um, yeah, great show. Keep it up. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. So did I forget, it was only two days ago, Jason, but did we mention or did we figure it out when we recapped that episode that that guy, the crazy guy, was the same guy that was um, bringing and taking people in and out of the train car at the end. No, we did not. We missed that completely. So, same dude, which I think is a good That's catch awesome. by Danny. That and is a good catch. Thanks uh, thanks Danny for that. I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't catch that. Yep. It's a good one. And uh our next email uh it has more on this long-haired guy. Right. So that's uh Dylan from Hall in the UK. Uh the line we're the same, we're them is acknowledgement that both his group and now the Terminus group have acted in a savage, uh, in as savage a manner as the Walkers they've been fighting. Uh, after his action in tormenting the Terminus group, why would Garrus simply kill him off? Surely the most sadistic thing for the man who raped and tortured your friends and your own mother would be kept alive and uh, drive him insane. And this is what I think uh, that bin marked feed was used for. Gareth and the Terminus group overpowered the other group, and the ones that weren't killed were treated as animals. Kept alive, possibly picked off one by one and cannibalized, with the last one standing being the ringleader of the rapists. The state of his hair and beard probably shows he was to be kept alive and imprisoned indefinitely. <laughs> ringleader of the rapists. That's not a title you want. <laughs> no. No, it is not. Not even a little bit. So... The, the idea is here, of course, he was one of the bad people that came in and took over Terminus from Gareth when it was actually a sanctuary. And then when Gareth and Mary and that whole group took it back again, they imprisoned this dude. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say torturing, torture or torturing him, but just keeping him imprisoned and slowly driving him insane by keeping him in the dark, probably in the train car all, all the time. So... It's, uh, I think it's just another little glimpse into the actual madness that was brought on to Gareth and everybody after, you know, their terrible experience. Yeah, that's, that's really, uh, I, I didn't catch that. And I think I like it that, uh, that, that this guy is the guy that's the ringleader of the rapists and that uh, he's been kept in a boxcar for a very long time because uh, he was absolutely right at the end of the episode. Everything's not going to be all right. No, and maybe he should get business cards. Ringleader of the rapists. Yeah, <laughs> or uh, an uh, analysis therapist. Right. 
he can he can now ripist right <laughs> he can hand those out and make sure everyone knows what his official title is That's um right. maria from spartanburg south carolina longtime listener she wrote holy crap did you see the crazy tattoo guy that came out of the train car on the right upper part of his forehead our left his right there is a symbol tattooed it's an x with a circle around it just like the symbol morgan finds in the trees that has to mean something oh man I, I'm gonna go look that. I'm gonna go watch the episode again. Go check that out because what what could that mean? Could that mean that those circles on the uh, trees have something to do with these bad people that were running Terminus for a while? Maybe they left them before they got to Terminus, or who knows what happened? They scattered after after Gareth took it back, and they went and left marks on trees to find their way, or it's just a crazy coincidence. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm intrigued. It's sort of like the the, the um, uh, Dharma Initiative symbols on everything. <laughs> what do they mean? What's going on? Nobody will ever know, except we'll find. Uh, you know, with the Dharma Initiative, we found out. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. It it could be. It could be a weird coincidence that he just had that tattoo there. Who knows if the tattoos on that guy's face are actually real or not? We we don't know. What do you mean they're not real? I mean, in real life, if that actor actually has tattoos on his face oh, or if they no, I would drew so. them on for the episode. I'm sure they drew them on. Okay. Uh, so next we have a call from Ken in Sacramento, California on the watch that Carol picked up. This is Ken from Sacramento. My holy crap moment actually came after the show while I was watching The Talking Dead on television. Uh, when Carol was going through the uh, room where all the survivors' property was located... Uh, I was surprised when she picked up the watch that she did because it wasn't the one that she gave to Rick. I just assumed that that's what she would go for. But then in the uh, Talking Dead, they they shared the fact that one of the people who was killed at the trough was actually that hippie guy who Rick had given his watch to, which then triggered the realization in my mind that the watch that uh, Carol picked up was Rick's watch, the one that the hippie guy had had. Thank you, Ken. So the watches are a little bit confusing. You have to remember exactly what happened. Um, right. uh, Rick and Carol go out on that run. His intention is to banish her. They meet up with Sam and his hippie girlfriend, and Rick gives his watch to that guy, to Sam, right. and then Carol gives her watch to Rick. So there's a bit of a watch musical chairs happening here. Uh, a watch swap? Yes, there's definitely a watch swap happening. And then... Um, so in that room that Carol finds, she finds Rick's watch, which he had given to Sam. So the termites had taken that watch off of Sam, not off of Rick. And right. it took me a minute to remember the order of operations there and make sure I understood everything. Um, but it's interesting that Rick's watch has traveled to Sam, to Terminus, gotten, you know, taken away from him at Terminus, and then Carol, of all people, finds it, picks it up again, and returns it to Rick. I think it's um, an interesting journey for the watch. <laughs> I think it's unfortunate to whoever is wearing that watch, really, because maybe that's the watch of death. Well, it Rick wasn't killed while he was wearing it. That's true. He gave it away. He, maybe, maybe he's the only one immune to it. Right. He has to wear it, or the person that wears it dies. Now, what about the fact that he would have shown up at Terminus with Car uh, Carol's watch and had it confiscated? Why wouldn't she pick up her own watch from that table as well? 
and and was only, it there? I think it was there. I think it was probably right beside Rick's. Well, she's got a lot going on right now, right? She's she's got a very busy, yeah. busy mind with her uh, her zombie invasion of Terminus. Mm-hmm. So maybe she just uh, noticed Rick's watch, but uh, failed to notice her own. Maybe it was she was so shocked and awed with the fact that she found Rick's watch. She's like, "Holy crap! Look at watch Rick's watch," and completely missed her own watch. She or she just doesn't care for it anymore, right? She gave it away on purpose, and maybe I hated that watch. My husband gave me that watch. That's the right. Stupid watch can rot. That she just has no interest in owning it anymore. So coming across it again, she's probably like, "Oh look, there's that stupid watch I used to have. I thought I got rid of that. I'm leaving it here." Right. Anyways, Rick's watch has gone on quite the journey, and and he should be back with it again now and hopefully happy to be reunited with his long lost watch (laughs) right all righty is it me now yes paul from ellesmere port uk when carol finds her way into the room with all the possessions there's a table full of soft toys and she only picks up the crossbow and watch don't you think it would have been a lovely thought to get one of the toys for judith does it does this show a complete lack of empathy and give us an insight into Carol's state of mind, or do you think it was a writer's oversight? Oh, her state of mind. Yeah, I don't know that it was either necessarily. Like, I don't want to say writer's oversight because these guys tend to think of everything, I think so, as writers, or at least have enough of a story in their head when they're writing it. Um, it may give us insight into her state of mind, but I also sort of think that, you know, there's basically a war happening at Terminus. Now would maybe not be the time to worry about picking up stuffed animals for a baby. Pick up the weapons, pick up the watch, I guess. Pick up what you need and move on. I'm not. I'm sure, I don't think it's that unrealistic that she would pass on a stuffed animal at this point. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it shows her, her personality. It's, uh, you know, get stuff that's useful, like always. Always, you know, have to be on the watch uh, or on the lookout for zombies you have to be able to take care of uh killing people when they need killing and uh you know plush toys are just there's no room in her heart for plush toys because mm-hmm. you know really if if there was room in her heart for for plush toys my my philosophy is uh once a beanie baby collector always a beanie baby collector that so if she was a beanie baby collector pre-apocalypse she she would probably sift through that whole pile for any possible beanie babies <laughs> that she didn't have previously just like you would have sifted through for lego yeah if it was a pile of a uh, pile of lego i would have probably you know started filling boxes with that stuff <laughs> quick fill this backpack i need to take these <laughs> these uh building blocks with me <laughs> you can build whatever you need out of lego it's true you, you need to build yourself a uh, a gatling elastic gun you could probably do that Given enough Lego, you can build anything. Yeah. House. Anything you want. That's true. All right. So next we have uh, we have an email from Chris in Syracuse, New York. Uh, a couple of notes on the things you mentioned in your recap podcast. When Carol was the victim, uh, was in the victim belongings room when she picks up Rick's watch, her, uh, her watch she gave to Rick uh, when she was banished was right next to Rick's watch. Well, I guess oh, that see? answers that question. So, yeah, that's probably where I read that. Also, why didn't she grab Michonne's katana? It's a good question. It's a good, good, very, very good question. Uh, the body on the table being chopped up was Alex, Gareth's brother, uh, that was killed at the end of season four. There was a gunshot wound to his head. Dinner that night was going to be family style. All righty. So first of all, why didn't she pick up the katana? That's an interesting question. Is Michonne going to be katana-less now? 
I don't know. She's got that. Uh, what was she using? Her scabbard? Uh, it's weird like, because what? the the double ended like makeshift sword she created in the box car. It yeah. looked like it had the handle from her her um, her her sword, right? I think it was her the scabbard. But why would they? Why would they let her keep the scabbard and not the uh, well, you know, and not take it away? Yeah, I don't with know. The katana. I I don't know. It's it it wouldn't make any sense, really. But it, I don't know. To me, it looked like the handle because the handle is is sort of white tape, isn't it? Well, it's wound uh, cloth. Whatever, but like it's a rope, and it's yeah. yeah, and it's white, and and that it looked like that's what she was holding, but it had you know wood, pokey sharp wood on on each end. Um, but I don't know, like if if she does indeed, if that katana just shows up again in season five, like she just has it, it's going to be weird, sort of wondering where it came from. They they because they definitely didn't go back for it, and Carol didn't pick it up. What I want to know and what I need to go back and check is, could you see it in that room? Was it in that room on a table somewhere or was it not visible on screen in that room, therefore indicating that maybe it was just on the ground somewhere and she picked it up? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go and check that. But it is a good uh, a good question. Um, and then the body was Gareth's brother. I didn't realize at the time, but he's the guy that Rick gets a gun to his head first in Terminus when mm-hmm. all hell breaks loose. And then he gets shot and killed, and he's on that table chopping them up. So that kind of helps the time frame a little bit, too, knowing that they haven't processed his body yet. So it probably hasn't been that long that they were in that train car. Right. Because he was just shot. Yeah, that's a good catch. Good one. Um, All right. Allison in Indianapolis writes, I had to write in about the similarities to the concentration camps during World War II, especially after Jason mentioned it. The first time I consciously noticed this theme was when Carol was in the room with all the victims' personal belongings set out on the tables. I've seen photos of enormous piles of shoes the Nazis took off their victims. That just upped the creep factor for me and solidified my thoughts that all the termites need to be taken out. Yeah. There was also piles of uh, gold fillings from teeth. From their teeth because they were valuable? That's right. Okay. All right, so uh, next uh, from friend of the show, Adam. Oh, this is a good one. Have fun reading this one. Yeah, holy fucking shitballs. Best <laughs> best season premiere ever. I don't even know where to begin. I cheered, I cried, I jumped up and down in glee. Rick told Gareth he was going to murder him with that machete. I certainly hope we get to see this happen. Love, love, love the scene where the where he butchers the two butchers, showing them no mercy whatsoever. I do wish he could have gone back to Terminus to finish things off, and I have a feeling Gareth's story is not done yet. Rick's reuni- reunion with his daughter and had me welling up with tears. Wow, wow, wow. He love, love, loved it, and wow, wow, wow. <laughs> uh, and he holy fucking shitballs did. <laughs> he, he really did. You know it was a good episode. <laughs> when uh... I, I'm not sure here, but I'm reading, uh, if I read between the lines and the subtext here uh, in, this, uh, in this email, I think Adam may have liked this episode. It's hard to say for sure, but I think yeah. you might be onto something. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Next email comes from Dave in Coventry, UK. What an amazing season opener, packed with action and savage brutality. I thought this was a lot more graphic than usual in the human versus human violence, which is kind of weird, as they thought saying fuck was worse than executing a child, and now they did a human slaughterhouse scene. 
The only two points I didn't like was the pinpoint accurate firework and the bit at the trough uh, where they killed all the red shirts and conveniently stopped at Glenn. <laughs> I think they should have let one live. Even if they killed him later, it was just a bit predictable. Well, what about, uh, you know, I was thinking that uh, that maybe they should have given Glenn a shot to the head with the aluminum bat, but didn't slit his throat. So he'd be a little wobbly, he'd be a little sore, he'd have a big goose egg, but uh, he'd still be alive. True. I think that would have been a good compromise. I mean, how likely is it that getting a full-on swing with a metal baseball bat to the back of your head would kill you? Well, I really have no idea. I'm not sure. My either. brother took a full-on swing with a wooden baseball bat and hit my cousin Dijon in the head. Didn't kill him. Made well, him mad. <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> and, you know, when I was a kid, I was probably 10 or 11 years old. I I was playing, <laughs> my cousin and I were playing baseball, and we didn't have a baseball bat, but I had a broken paddle, canoe paddle, and we were yeah. using that as as a baseball bat. I guess it was a little bit more like a, a cricket bat, maybe? Right. And I swung it as a 10 or 11-year-old, a full swing. And my cousin, who was six or seven, maybe seven years old, was standing behind me. And I swung it around, and I cracked her on the forehead with it. And she didn't die, but she got a nice big goose egg on her forehead and screamed pretty yep. loud. And yeah, Tijon had a big goose egg. That really, really upset me at the time. Um but I'm just thinking, like, you know, full, full-grown adult with a full swing looked like a big, strong dude, and it's a metal bat. It's not wood, so there's even less give in it. I, I think back of the head. I don't know. I, I don't think it would necessarily kill someone, but it would sure hurt a lot. But you know, you're right. Maybe Glenn could have taken a whack to the head, been unconscious for a little while, and then they had to carry him out or something like that. Maybe. Right. Did you hear about that uh, that robbery around the corner here the other day? It was uh, a guy walked in with a Nerf bat and uh, <laughs> and beat to death the uh, what uh, beat to death the guy and robbed the store. Witnesses say the slaying took nine hours. Oh, hilarious! <laughs> <laughs> Witnesses, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, it's been six hours and that guy's still alive. <laughs> He's still kicking around. <laughs> Nice. That's a joke. That never happened. Well, it might have happened, but it didn't happen around here the other day. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who's is me next? Uh, yes, David on the internet. All right. So David from the internet, uh, listening to your podcast and some of the others, everyone seems to be on the same page about the Rambo Carol launching the rocket into the propane tank and how she, uh, how could she have gotten such an accurate shot on the first shot. Uh, propane is very explosive gas, and we saw that cloud that was pouring out of the tank after she shot it. She didn't need a direct hit to ignite the propane. She just needed it to go off close enough to ignite it. So anywhere in the vicinity would have been okay. So that rocket or uh, that uh, rocket fire doesn't really bother me so much anymore because the first thing I thought was like, come on, she just fired that. She picked up the fireworks that um, Martin left, and then she left that one shot and she hit that thing but you're right if the air was filling with propane fumes now it was outside and it was out in the open so those fumes would disperse pretty quickly but i guess if they were shooting out of that if she just got just in the right area that would be enough to ignite the fumes which then blows up the whole thing right so okay uh, I, I can live with it i i i liked uh i like david's uh, explanation there good one david thank you this email comes from Randy in Fawn Township, Pennsylvania. 
I was listening to your podcast this morning and have to disagree with your take on Carol. You said she was going down a darker path and her killing and her killing of Mary was spiteful. I think that was you mostly, Jason. Yeah, mostly me. <clears throat> Later, when talking about Tyrese, you applauded his killing of his captor. I thought both kills were brutal and committed with anger and revenge, as they should have been. In fact, Carol had more reason to brutalize Mary based on what she had done to her friends. I think your Nazi references were good, and I see Mary as one of the Nazis. She deserved to be killed brutally and much worse based on the evil atrocities she committed. Is it cruel and uncivilized? Yes. Does revenge make up for the wrong wrong others have done? No. But we are humans driven by emotion, and when our friends are harmed and others killed mercilessly, there should be no remorse for the act of retribution. Hmm. I want to talk about something here really quick. Okay. Does Carol know what has happened to her friends that are imprisoned at Terminus, and does Carol know what's going on? at terminus and therefore if she if assuming she does therefore maybe she's justified in acting this way or is she acting on assumptions of what's going on and killing people sort of with a little bit more um a little bit more spite i guess <laughs> i would have to go back and watch the episode again i mean uh, so I'm not sure uh, what the path she took. She took a path through the uh, Terminus that the others didn't take, uh, you know, visiting some of the same locations that the others visited and visiting new, new locations such as the the belongings room. Mm -hmm. uh, so the question, uh, you know, you frame the question rather well. Does Carol know what's going on? Or does she just know that her friends are captive? Well, I mean, if you if you analyze what we know... I think Carol's never been to Terminus before. Her and Tyrese have been on the road this whole time. Her yeah. her knowledge of Terminus extends to meeting up with Martin and what he says to her, which isn't really much. He says, all he says that they'll see you coming or there's so many zombies in the area kind of thing. Um, and then when she gets there, she gets outside the fence and she witnesses uh, her friends on the ground outside yeah. And being picked up and, you know, rough rough handled a little bit, manhandled a bit. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily imply to me that there's anything. I mean, that obviously tells her that they're they're captive, but is that enough? Like she doesn't know that they're torturing them or or about to torture them. She doesn't know they're about to slit their throats. She doesn't know they're cooking people and eating them. She doesn't know any of this. All she knows is that her friends are there and it isn't the safe place that maybe they they hoped it was right so i don't know i mean i think randy makes all good points here i'm just not sure carol has enough information to to you know be getting get retribution on these people for the evil atrocities that have been committed right because she doesn't know about them i don't know that she knows about them you know um, i know i you know? <laughs> yeah so Anyways, it sure made for a, a good, exciting episode, but I'm not sure I'm totally on board with Carol's actions. Now, I mean, chaos was was happening all around her, and uh, people were shooting, and there was a lot of stuff going on, and she did come across the room with the with all the the uh, belongings. So maybe that 
allowed her to put two and two together. And then she got to the, the memorial room. So maybe just all this information as it built up, she kind of realized, okay, something is really bad going on here. I'm just going to go with, I'm going to assume it's the worst and kill these people and rescue my friends. I don't know. Right. I'm sticking by my guns. She's a homicidal maniac. Yeah, there's always that. Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Johnny in Venice. You mentioned that Rick wanted to go back to Terminus to kill the remaining termites as being crazy. I see his rationale because he recently lost the prison, uh, his rationale because he recently lost the prison due to the fact of not chasing down the governor and killing him. So it can be argued that he wants to protect the group by killing the killers. I can see that point. I mean, he 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 didn't deal with the governor right away, and that cost him his safe place to live. Right. And now he's saying, we know there's more bad people here. Let's take them out so that they can't do anything else to us. Let's you know ensure that they can't follow us or, or find us or do anything else bad. I can see Johnny's point. I can see Johnny's point as well. Thank, Thank you, you, Johnny. Very good. Next one comes from <laughs> Alejo in Buenos Aires. Aries, Buenos Aires, Argentina. I really didn't like the way they resolved the Terminus plot. I was hoping uh, for more horror featuring the cannibalism of, of ter- Terminus. They are not only a Nazi-like group of people with a concentration... All right. They are not only a Nazi-like group of people with a concentration camp. They are freaking cannibals. So, Nazi cannibals. Yeah, there's a whole movie in that right there. Yeah. <laughs> if they can make Nazi zombie movie, why not a Nazi cannibal movie? Um, Yeah. Do you remember in the summer we talked about one time, what if they just never addressed the cannibal thing on the show? Uh, Yeah, I, th- I remember that. I think they may not ever address the cannibal thing directly on the show. I mean, there's certainly a lot of implied can- cannibalism. Mm-hmm. But nobody came right out and said, yeah, we're cooking and eating people, or and we didn't actually see anyone chow down. I think, though, there is enough there that we can safely say, yes, they were eating people, and then just move on. In fact, if we never talk yeah. about cannibals again, it will probably be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, All right, well... We can move on from there then. So next we have an email from Chris in the UK. This is an excerpt from a longer email uh, regarding Eugene. I'm with Jason on this one. Thanks, Chris. Uh, This is the first time I've come anywhere close to believing Eugene's story. Never bought it for a second last year. I'm sure we're not getting the whole story, and he's certainly massively overstating his importance, but I think there's a grain of truth in there. Yeah, I kind of questioned whether Eugene actually said anything useful when they asked him what he knows about this cure or what this cure is. Um, but it seems like people kind of bought into it. Uh, we had other people write in and say, too, that Eugene Eugene's explanation was good enough for them, and it's the first time they believed him. Well, I can speak from personal experience that if, uh, if you want to bullshit somebody, throw enough jargon at them, they'll believe you. Right, and that's kind of so, what he did, right? Yeah, and therefore I believe him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jargon <laughs> me equals truth. Well, yeah, because the jargon implies uh, a knowledge that, that Eugene has that I don't have, and therefore the fact that he has more knowledge than me means that he may not have enough knowledge to to do what he needs to do. So, yeah, well, 
I, I, I just think you can easily learn the jargon associated with a particular industry and not have any concept of really what it's all about. Uh, yes and no. It depends on the industry. I don't think uh, molecular biology, uh, weaponizable molecular biology is a, uh, you know, the jargon is probably not easily adoptable. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. So you're right. He was hanging around the cafeteria and he picked up something at least enough to spew or spew out that, you know, paragraph. <laughs> he was a waiter. All righty. Next email comes from Josephine in Vancouver. Josephine says, I think The Walking Dead has finally done it. They finally put something on screen so gruesome that I had to turn away from the TV screen. And that scene had nothing to do with zombies. The first eight minutes of the season five premiere were the first, where the first four red shirts were bonked with the bat and then had their throats slashed, was the most intense and graphic scene I had ever witnessed on cable TV. I was unprepared for the moment Sam and his had his throat slashed and I almost threw up the dinner I was eating. <laughs> <laughs> you I, decided to eat dinner yeah. while watching The Walking Dead. This is probably the this is probably the worst episode <laughs> to do that too. She goes on. I can't believe AMC and the TV standards and practices would allow for a scene where somebody's throat was slashed so graphically. The During scene, dinner time. Yeah, right at dinner time. Sorry. The slash wasn't even implied. We saw the blood burst out in all its glory. I was so disturbed by it that I wasn't able to sleep very well that night. If that's is what the producers were going for, then bravo to them. Well, I think, Josephine, your problem is that you ate dinner way too late and during a gruesome TV show, which has probably, you know, led to why you couldn't sleep that well that night either. Yeah, it's a combination of things, probably. If, if I eat late, I'm screwed. Like, I, I, I will sleep like a, a bag of hammers. So I have to make sure that I uh, I eat early. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that's that's because you're old, though. Well, yeah. Okay. No, it's like that when I was younger, too. Oh, really? Eat dinner at Except 11 o'clock. Except for eggs. I could eat eggs at 11 o'clock at night. That was fine. Have breakfast any time of the day. That's right. Okay. It was pretty gruesome, though, Josephine. It was, uh, it was, it was nasty. Throat slut, a uh, slut. Throats slit, blood spewing everywhere. I, I, it was That's one gross. of, it was one of the grossest things I think I've seen on this show. Yeah. And part of that is because it was inflicted on living humans, not zombies. I mean, we've seen a lot of disgusting zombie stuff, but, um, seeing, yeah, just seeing people just murdered like that was pretty graphic and horrible. Yeah, I yeah, that's true. That's this is uh, you know human on human violence. That's uh, not the kind of thing you see on a television show. And, and frankly, there's been a fair bit of human on human violence. Uh, well, you see that on TV all the time, but it's like it's in this show. It's mostly people getting shot or people getting beat up or whatever. This was just so. Like they were so helpless in that scene, and the the method of killing them was just so brutal that it really, really sticks, and it 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 affects you more than I think any other human on human violence we've seen. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from Alex in South Australia. Alex says, "Honestly, don't know what to make of this season premiere." On one hand, it's never been more brutal, gory, and badass. But on the other hand, it's just so far beyond belief that I was left utterly speechless. The good moments that we love from The Walking Dead were fantastic and delivered both satisfying and intense action and good mystery, but they were just too few and too far between, scattered amongst poorly directed, unrealistic scenes that pull you out of, a, out of an otherwise compelling narrative. Hmm. So not everyone loved this episode. Um... 
I would love to hear maybe a little bit more detail from Alex about sort of the things that he thought were were so unbelievable and uh, poorly directed because I didn't really get that feeling. I mean, this is a zombie show. This is going to have, first of all, zombies. So if you can accept that, what was it about this episode necessarily that that didn't work for you? That's that's my question you know, for Alex. Well, now that Alex brings it up, I think that uh, you know we've we've often said that in this universe, people have soft heads. True, except for those four guys that got a bat to the back of the head. Have we seen a bat previously uh, and attack a zombie head? And what happens if a bat hits a zombie head? It just splats right open. Uh huh. So shouldn't these four red shirts have their heads completely splatted open by this bat? Yeah, but I also think that maybe the softness of people's heads sort of happens after they become zombies. Like maybe there's I, some I, sort of yeah. I no, I I think we've seen uh you know head zombie or non-zombie uh hits to the head uh, where people's heads were actually soft. I'd have to I'm going to go back and rewatch the entire uh series. Okay, good. And I'll let you know. Make a note of every zombie or every headshot, bat headshot. I just think that maybe there's some sort of decalcification process or something that makes their head, their skulls really soft after they die. It, it's uh, called uh, post-mortem softification. Oh, good. That's I, I knew there was an <laughs> official term for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, Alex, appreciate the email and uh, send in more sort of uh, more detail, you know about some of the stuff that was so far beyond belief. Um, because I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Next is Danny in London, UK. I really enjoyed the season premiere. However, I was a little disappointed that none of our main characters died or were even injured. I think this takes away something in regards to the threat that Terminus was. They did this last season with the flu in the prison. If no one dies from these threats, then a viewer... Uh, is taken away. It makes The Walking Dead different, and what I don't I don't know how to read anymore. If no one dies from these threats, then as a viewer, it takes away what makes The Walking Dead different and so awesome. Sorry, Danny. Uh, the fact that anyone can die at any moment normally keeps me on the edge of my seat, but I'm starting to watch the show more relaxed as I know certain characters are not going to die. Yeah, they didn't even get like so much as a sliver from that train car. It's true. No one got hurt. No one got shot and survived. Nobody died, obviously. It uh, does seem awfully lucky on our heroes' parts. You know, Daryl got his crossbow back. Michonne didn't get her katana, or maybe she did. Maybe she never lost it. We uh, There's some confusion as to Michonne's katana state right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, everybody seems to be uh, seems to be okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure people will die. I'm sure people will be hurt and maimed and injured. And Danny, you should keep your guard up for that because it's going to happen. Um, but you're right. I mean, if someone had died in the premiere, that would have been pretty crazy. That would have just been more, um, just add to the craziness that this episode already was, you know? And maybe right. that would be a good thing. I don't know. I don't know. All right, next we have an email from Andy in Weston Supermare, UK. My holy crap, did you have to show us that, is Morgan. Despite being excited to see him, I also kind of hated it. Why can't TV shows just wait to surprise us anymore? Now we're expecting Morgan, so we won't be surprised. 
people would uh, people would have still tuned in next week and would have been a good mystery for a while if they had just shown a mysterious guy wearing a mask at the end without the big reveal. So here's my thoughts on this. Um, when it, you know the first part of Andy's email here, I thought he was saying, "Why did they have to do that at all? Like, why have that post-credit scene at all and just wait to show us Morgan when he's actually?" doing something or going to be rejoining the cast on a regular basis. Um, but, you know, maybe showing us that masked guy and not revealing who it was, would that have been a better teaser or even more sort of mystery surrounding it? What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that it was supposed to be a mystery. I think it was supposed to get us excited. It sure worked in that regard. Yeah, so I, I don't think it was, if they wanted to, to build a mystery, like, holy crap, what the hell's going to happen next? Uh, you know, who is that guy? Why is he following him? Why is he so well-armed and so well-equipped? Uh, what, what's going to happen? Is he from Terminus? You know, that's what that's one way to build it, is that this, you know, building this big mystery. Right. But I think they were, they were uh, I think their intent was to build excitement. And I'm damn sure I'm excited that, uh, that Morgan's going to be back. Yeah. But it's not like I'm not going to watch the show next week. He's absolutely right in that regard. It's like it's not going to build ratings. Uh, but, you know, I'd, I'd watch the show anyway. Sure. Well, they've, they've done that before, right? They did it with the um, the secret that Jenner told Rick at the end of season one. It took all of, well, a good portion of season two for him to reveal, or did it take even into season three? I forget now, okay. for him to reveal what Jenner said, right? And that right. was that was a... That was something, that was a secret that the that nobody knew but the character. And if, had they not revealed Morgan's face here, it would have been similar to that. And maybe that's why they they decided to do it differently, because they'd already done the secret thing before, right? Um, right. In fact, this show has had multiple secrets when you think about it. I mean, uh, um, Shane had secrets, and, well, Shane and Laurie had them and stuff like that, and, and, and the Jenner thing. And here, you're right, I think they were going for excitement, not mystery right and it, and, it, and if you remember uh carl did not mention to anybody uh about that big can of pudding that he found that's still a secret like he, that's still a secret he never mentioned that no definitely not we so. as the audience know about it but uh but nobody else does <laughs> nobody else um so and and i like that they're mixing it up right i i i think i prefer excitement in this case than 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 mystery because if it was just some random dude, yeah, we would have been wondering, is he from Terminus? Is he from somewhere else? Do we know this character? Is it a new character? Um, people who've read the comics probably would have speculated you know, all day that it, who, it, who it is from the comics. They would have assumed there was a, it was a comic character. Um, but I think it's just because we've seen Morgan only twice before, and he is a favorite character, and Lenny James is so awesome. I think they made the right call here in showing us Morgan, because there's still mystery. We still don't know what he's up to, where he's been exactly, what he's been doing. We don't know his state of mind. There's still a yep. lot to wonder about here, but oh my God, it's Morgan. I'm so excited to find out, you know, all the answers to those questions. So right. I'm He's good. no longer in Crazy Town, that's for sure, because Crazy Town was an actual physical manifestation for him. Yeah. But uh, now he's on, uh, is he is he on the, uh, the ludicrous highway? He could be. I, I think he could be. He's definitely on the road, and that is likely the ludicrous highway. <laughs> the cra oh, he was on the train track, so he's on the crazy train. Oh, there you go. Of course Rolling he is. Rolling off the rails on the crazy train. I can't believe we didn't come up with that soon. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Alrighty, uh, this next one comes from Clayton on the internet, right? He, yes. Yeah, Clayton says, I think that the X's on the trees are from Gareth's group. It is unknown how many people from Terminus survived, but I think what is happening is a small group of scouts is following Rick's group and leaving a trail for the rest of of the termites to follow. Could be. Um, could be. It could be just uh, trail markers for the uh, for the term termites to get around. Like they might have placed those uh, those markers uh, previously, just so that they know uh, where everything is. Yeah, which means they could be leading nowhere, and and Morgan is just wandering off into you know somewhere no one else is. <laughs> well, he might be following a path that uh, is not the the terminus signs because you know Lenny James is a smart guy. Uh, you know, he's going to say, he's going to see the terminus signs and say, yeah, that's a trap. I'm going to uh -huh. follow these much more subtle signs that, uh, you know, sort of lead that way, but, uh, not really. Yeah. Um, or maybe he carved the signs previously and is just walking around in the big circle. And, uh, every time <laughs> he gets to his sign, he forgets that he carved it. Yeah. And, and maybe that's where there was a zombie that he cleared. And so he's just marking a clearing location and now he's forgotten what he's doing. Yeah, he's got, maybe he's got a, a personality split or a complete dissociative disorder where he's got uh, multiple personalities, one that carves signs and one that follows them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He could be, it could be anything. We don't know. There's, see, there's lots of mystery surrounding Morgan. <laughs> could be the lich. There could be a lich out there uh, burning signs into trees with uh, just a gaze. Is Who that, knows? Is that what liches do? They they burn. I, no, I I really don't think they do. But it could be. This should, anything could happen. That's very true. It could be alien dinosaurs for all I know. That's probably it. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from uh, Katie in the UK. Well, where to start? The creative minds behind this show built uh, built the hype for this episode up and up and up, and it did not disappoint. It was it was a full on roller coaster of emotions. We had action. Carol bringing the walkers down on Terminus. We had suspense, the group being brought to the chopping block and awaiting their fate. We had emotion, the reunion between Carol, Tyrese, Judith, and the rest of the gang. We had mystery, and quite a shock, Morgan's return. This was a great premiere. It's definitely one of the best episodes I've seen in a long time. Looking forward to where the story takes us. I should have put this email at the end because it sums it up uh, rather uh, rather well that uh, we had all these different things in there. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you, Katie. The next one is from Youssef in Dubai, and this one's about Morgan, too. I'm not sure if Morgan will meet the group because when he discovered the No Sanctuary sign, it had considerable vine growth, which might indicate a passage of time. My fearless prediction, Morgan will be in the Companion series, maybe even lead that one. They have said no cast member will be in the new series, but that might be a smokescreen. The better way... What better way to endear fans to the new show by putting a fan favorite as the lead? Well, so who said no cast members will be in the new series? Was it Robert Kirkman? It was, but I believe, well, he's maybe the only person that's really talked publicly about it. So He's lying. Okay, yeah, Yusuf, uh, you might be right on the money. I think uh, I now agree with you that Morgan is going to lead this new series. We do know that Robert Kirkman is just a giant shit talker. So um, did I say Morgan Kirkman? Robert Kirkman. I don't know what you said. Whatever. I Robert. I know. Robert's thinking about something else. <laughs> Good. Robert Kirkman. Yeah, he nothing. You can't believe anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. So maybe Morgan is in the companion series. And what better character to make a whole companion series out of than Morgan? 
Um, the only thing is they have said that it takes place in a vastly different part of the country, and Morgan is clearly in the same part of the country that everyone else is, but who knows? They could get around that easily by setting it in the future or the past or whatnot, right? Yeah, set it four or 500 years in the future, and then everything's, like, way different. Morgan's a cyborg. He's, he's yeah. you know, fighting the alien dinosaurs and the lich, and that would be a hell of a show. Um, it would be. But uh, I, I like I like I like the way you're uh, the way you're talking there. I like the, I like what you're thinking. Good. I think this is a good idea. Get me in three four hundred years in the future. Uh huh. Get me a job as a TV producer. I'll do it. Um, right. But I think Yusuf makes a good point here. I went back and checked the checked the episode, and the vine growth over the sign is a lot different than when Rick was there smearing the mud on it. Really? Yeah. So it could be well after. They were there. Like, if this was like, months later, our other group of characters could be long gone by now, right? And therefore, the X's on trees could have been carved by anybody, maybe a group from Terminus that survived the, you know, the big uh, assault. How much vine growth? And how fast do these vines grow? Well, I think some of these vines grow pretty quickly. Uh, I have a vine in my backyard that grows along the fence and along part of the house. That thing would grow like at the speed of light. So it that's pretty fast, my friend. You know the speed you know light can travel seven times around the earth in one second? I, I realize that, but uh these vines grow really, really fast. Okay, you're talking like a foot a month or like uh fourteen feet uh, twelve feet a year kind of thing? Or are you talking like every day there's like you know, seven feet of vines that are now uh, you know, strangling my children because they can't run away fast enough. I think these vines can easily grow um, 12 feet in a summer, so from spring to fall. And they okay. wrap around everything, right? Like anything this vine comes in contact with, like if there's a wire on the outside of my house, it'll wrap around it and just spiral right up there. Um, they attach themselves to the brick, and then they just yeah. grow all over the house, right? And so then they I pull the bricks off the house. That's right. I, I yeah. chop them down every year, like pretty significantly. And the next year they just full on come back. So they grow you need really a flame fast. flamethrower. No, that would be a bad idea. I may kill the vine, but I'd also burn down the house. <laughs> I don't know. Bricks take, you know, really high temperatures to burn. Well, if I wanted to get rid of it, I could, because I'd just go down and cut it off right at the root, right? Even then though, it would slowly grow back up. And it, within a, you know, a couple of years, it would probably be back to where it was. Anyways, my cut point ring. is- what? Cut a ring off the of bark. Just cut a ring around uh, a ring around it on the bark. It'll kill it. What do you mean, cut a ring around it? Like you just take a, a strip of bark off all the way around the the base of the vine. It'll kill it. I don't think it would. It would because they can't get. That's where the uh, the water comes up. It comes up between the bark and the uh, the actual wood. That's how you kill a tree. If you want to kill a tree, take a strip of bark off it. Off really? The trunk. Yeah, that tree is dead. So that if because, you do that because the water can't travel up the tree, then yeah, it doesn't. It only travels up uh, between the bark and the uh, and the tree. Wow, I had no idea. I should I should keep that secret amongst some of the people in my neighborhood because I ha I have some neighbors that really hate trees. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, they're in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah, they well they're they're just in the wrong because trees are nice and good for you and I hate trees. Like what's what, what I, I'm I'm flabbergasted. I, I, sometimes she cut a uh, cut a strip off of them. Yeah, that's See right. What happens. See what happens. <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> am annoyed by trees, but I don't hate them, and I see Why their value. Why would you be annoyed by trees? Well, the tree, it's a long story. You know the big tree in my backyard. It, it annoys yeah. me, but I would never cut it down or try Are to kill it. Are you mad at it? 
I'm is, just, it, is it a spiteful tree? I'm just angry with it because it's screwing up the garage and the yard and everything. But that's a whole different story. That um, anger is way misplaced, my friend. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, better than being angry at my children. Just, I should be angry at the tree outside. Yeah, okay. Um, anyways, the point is some time has passed. So really, Morgan could be there at any time and... A lot could have happened since Rick and everyone was there. So who knows what's where it's all going to lead. So really, why show us this at all? Uh, yeah, exactly. Because we didn't need to see it. What's the point? And even after the credits. Yeah, this is uh, this is just a lead into a new show. He's just on the road and he's going to end up somewhere in uh, probably England so that he can use his, his actual accent. And, uh, <laughs> right. And that, that'll be that. Okay. All right. Uh, next, we have an email from Gemma in Wales. I disagree with Jason and his timeline theory. Well, we're going to stop this email right now. Sorry, Gemma. Sorry, I'll, I'll continue. The gunfire that Carol and Tyrese heard, I think, is definitely the termites herding Rick and company towards the boxcar. There was no way the termites would risk creating that much noise to attract more zombies by shooting the ones around the fence. They had women stabbing the walkers at the fence. They didn't need to shoot them. That guy Martin was setting off. Uh, that guy Martin was setting off fireworks in the woods to distract walkers away from the termites. These people know what they're doing. I don't think Rick and company were in that boxcar that long. I'd say a few hours. They were on the edge and ready to roll. Uh, I say Rick was crazed enough to make a makeshift weapon fairly quickly. I so fever pitch. Yeah, I now agree with Gemma. Also, based on the fact that that was Alex on the table. He was just recently killed. He was. Put onto that table. I think all this happened all kind of at the same time. And the gunshots um, uh, that Carol and Tyrese heard when they were on the tracks with the zombies, where the basically the gunshots saved them, I think that was definitely the shooting, uh, the termites shooting to herd them into the train car. So this whole term, term, uh, terminus situation all occurred in the same day. Same day, I think, yeah. Um you know, or at the very least, maybe like overnight kind of thing. Maybe they, no, because they didn't, um, nobody, Carol, they, they didn't, the Carol and, uh, and Tyrese did not spend the night anywhere. No, they didn't that, that we saw. So they arrived at Terminus, Carol and Tyrese were within earshot. So they heard all the, the shooting and then they made their way directly there, which maybe took a couple of hours or by the time they sort of got themselves organized it was a couple hours and that's the only time they were in the train car and then well we know what happened all after that so i think it was all very quickly yeah right okay seems to make sense all right uh we got a few more here these are all sort of short little observations this one james on facebook he wrote in the reason for the guardrails by the fence is to keep trucks from backing into the fence Okay. Remember you, you were asking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it totally that was the only problem I had with this whole uh, with this whole episode, that and the fireworks. So the firework thing is settled, the uh, the rails by the fence is settled. Uh I give the show a 10 out of 10. Totally makes sense when you think about it. I mean, if there's lots of trucks delivering stuff coming and going, you don't want them back into the fence by accident because then you got to fix even, the fence. Then you got to fix the fence. This way there's a guardrail. Right. All right, that makes sense. Good. All right, uh, next we have uh, from Bernie in London, UK. Bernie's email was longer, so Chris brutally chopped it down to a single sentence. Yes. Uh, the mask is a motorcycle mask you wear under your helmet. That is, of course, 
um, we were wondering about Morgan's mask. And uh, yeah. I did a search for motorcycle mask, and lots come up. A lot of them with skulls on the face. Right. That's so you don't get bugs in your teeth. Well, there you go. It's a cool Because that would be mask. nasty. It would. If you're riding down the highway and you go through a cloud of no see at, uh, you know, 100 kilometers an hour, uh, that's going to hurt. It's not going to be very fun, that's for sure. You're going to get flies. I once uh, I ate a fly while I was uh, performing in a show. I was drumming, and uh, a fly flew down my throat and got stuck on my epiglottis. And uh, here I am <laughs> trying to play the song and trying to hork up this friggin' uh, fly. It was awful. I was standing in my friend's kitchen one time. We were teenagers, and we were... Uh, eating ice cream and there was a spider on the on the ceiling so i jumped up and tried to get the spider wave it off the ceiling and i sort of just whiffed it off the ceiling i think and and then we didn't know where it went and we we're like eh, it must be gone no big deal and so we're standing there he's eating his ice cream out of this bowl and all of a sudden he turns around and he yells at me oh my god i ate it i ate it oh my god <laughs> and i'm like what what are you talking about by this time i'd forgotten all about the spider and he said the spider i think it fell in the ice cream and i could feel it trying to scramble out of my lips but i just sucked it back in and ate it before i realized what i was doing <laughs> nice yeah gross good work chris all righty well we all eat bugs once in a while uh, yeah. Next is Kevin in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Just a quick note, in the opening scene, they used a bat uh, to the back of the head in front of the trough to make sure they would not turn into a walker and taint the meat. I picked this up on the Walking Dead Girl podcast, which is a podcast friend of ours. So, um, yeah, crack them in the back of the head, which... Is enough of a blow to the brain to make them not turn into zombies? I don't know about that. If, if they all have soft heads like I think they do, then yeah, that would kill them. But wouldn't you think the skull would be more damaged? Like, there'd actually have to be some sort of indentation in the back, enough to, I don't know, the shock of it wouldn't just kill the brain, would it? No, not necessarily. Yeah, I think I in order for this uh, for the meat not to be tainted by somebody turning, I think uh, you have to destroy the brain, which means you got to put something through that person's skull. I don't think whacking them on the back of the head would be enough. No, I, I don't think so either. And the other thing is, I don't know how this works when it comes to eating these people because we know they're all infected. Does that mean that they're like tainted anyways? And does it even matter because you're infected with this too? So. I don't know. Yeah, it don't matter. I don't think so. As long as it doesn't, you know, turn into a zombie and uh, while you're trying to chop it up, then you're good. Then you're good. Yeah. I mean, if it if it comes if it comes back to life as you're eating it, that's bad. That's very bad. Yeah. That's worse than eating a bug. Oh, way. Uh, okay, next uh, from Jenna and Amanda in Nashville. Carol didn't put gore on her face. It was red clay dirt. You can tell that she's digging beside the walker before she puts it on her face. Also, it dries like dirt, not like blood, and is thicker. Uh, The South has an abundance of red clay. Jenna and Amanda are absolutely correct. Um, When you and I were down in Atlanta last year, I remember seeing lots and lots of red dirt. Right. Similar to... So this is like... So this was just camouflage. It was like... uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator, where he just covered himself in uh, in dirt so that he wouldn't uh, show up on the uh, the infrared vision of the of the Predator. Yes, this is this is just camouflage. She had enough zombie gore all over that uh, poncho thing she had on. That's what was distracting the zombies. the The dirt on her face was camouflage, but it's a really good catch by Jenna and Amanda. 
um, yep. because I initially assumed it was zombie gore, but she's right. When it's sort of dry later in the episode, it doesn't look like blood. It looks like dirt. Right. Good, uh, good catch. Good work. Alex in San Diego writes, we got lucky. If the batter in the slaughterhouse was a lefty, the show would be over. <laughs> Bob, Rick, <laughs> Daryl, and Glenn would have gotten it first. <laughs> then where would we be? Yep. They would be like four red shirts and a bunch of people left in a car train car that's right there would be and carol the, <laughs> wouldn't that be insane those four characters are all dead in the opening minutes of this season and we have the other four guys who have no idea what's going on so they're just recaptured and uh, everything is done and the show is over <laughs> yeah <laughs> would have been, been a great ending would have been the stupidest thing ever it would have been a, a, an awesome ending slash season premiere mm-hmm Right. All right. So next we have Matt in Auckland, New Zealand. I caught this on second view on second viewing in the credits when Andrew Lincoln's name is on screen. Your eye is drawn to this to his trademark gun, but just below that, a red-handled machete. Yep, it sure is. The Andrew Lincoln's name comes up in the new credits, and there is his python in all its glory, and you're looking at that. But what you're actually looking at is kind of a stylized picture of the gun bag that was buried in the woods. And the other one that you can make out is a machete with a dirty red handle. So nice. Th- there it is. It's That's a really good, uh, really good catch too, Matt. Finally, Paul on the internet writes, just a question to ponder. Given that most people were disappointed with the way the last season ended, and episode 501 wrapped up the Terminus storyline with the aftermath to follow, do you think that No Sanctuary would have made a better season 4 finale than a season 5 premiere? I thought this was an interesting question. It is. Uh, I don't think we would have had the suspense because we would have had the storyline building up to Terminus and then everybody leaving Terminus. And uh, maybe I would... I, I think I would have shit on the writers and producers for what the hell just happened why did they do that i so i i I like the way that this uh this shook out i i got to agree with you i think if they'd put this episode at the end of season four it would have been just like every other season finale because what was happening in other the other seasons is we had our big you know our big events or whatever it was and then we kind of wound down and there wasn't really a suspenseful cliffhanger or anything like that. You know, the, uh, um, the farm burned down and, and everyone fled or, um, whatever the hell the other season finales were. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was the CDC blowing up. Yeah. And we had the farm burning down and then we had, uh, leaving the prison and that was only three. No, they didn't leave the prison after three. Because they were in the prison. Oh, right. They were after the middle of three. Yeah. So season three was the governor's failed attempt on taking the prison. Right. Season four was stuck in the train car. So um, I like this. I like the way they did it better. I think, yeah, I think so. It would have felt like all this time, they spent all this time leading up to Terminus, and then it all wraps up in one episode at the end of season four. And then what was the whole point? It was just a big thing, and then they move on. So this right. felt a little bit better to me, I, I would say. I, I agree. Any additional thoughts on that? Uh, I, I really think that I would have been mean to the writers and producers if they had made this the <laughs> season four finale. 
Yeah. And, and it is nice to do something a little bit different, right? Where we haven't really had this true cliffhanger type finale before. So I, I think they got to mix it up. Yep. And now they're doing post-credit stingers. Imagine if that Morgan thing had come at the end of season four. I mean, that would have been kind of exciting. Maybe he's just going to be post-credit stingers uh, until the new show starts. And then he'll be full-on Morgan all the time. You know, I, I, there was a time where I suggested that we needed, in season four, a little bit more... Oh, it was the governor, I think. When we got two full episodes of the governor coming back and no, yep. and nothing else... There was a time, I think I suggested that shouldn't, maybe they should have done the whole governor's story in cold opens. Every cold right. open is the gover yep. governor, and then we get the rest of the episode. Maybe they're going to do that with Morgan. They're going to have Morgan in every post credit stinger for 12 or 16 episodes, and then he's going to either show up on this show and do something incredible or move on to the new show. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be a, a good idea, and I think they'll do it, and I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Well, clearly they were listening to me, and they got the idea from me, so you can send your royalty check to my house. Sure. All right. That is a lot of feedback, but we got through it all. Thank you to everyone who wrote or called in. We love to hear what you guys think. We, uh, Despite what you may think, we, we don't mind being corrected because, you know, we get stuff wrong all the time or we just miss something, and if you've got... Uh, something to say and even if uh, even if it means we look like boobs that's okay yeah marriage has uh, really mellowed me out for that kind of thing <laughs> that's good so uh, there you go Jason's married so act like his wife and correct him all the time <laughs> yeah you know when I do something that's wrong or say something that's incorrect uh, I am uh, you know sufficiently tells me about it there you go so good so it won't feel anything it won't feel unusual in any way to you that's right um we will be back next monday of course when we uh recap season five episode two but in the meantime if you want to uh, get in contact you can visit us on twitter at talking dead or on facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead you can send email to talking dead podcast at gmail.com or go to our website and click on the send voicemail button to send us a message um, I said last time that we're going to be getting rid of the toll-free phone line. Turns out that's not entirely <laughs> true. But there Chris will chickened out. There will be a change that I can't announce quite yet. In the mean, you know, until next week, you can still call one eight six six four eight three nine six six two and leave us phone messages if you want. Doesn't cost you a thing. But there will be a change that that I'll announce soon. So if you are upset about losing that toll-free number. Um, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. And you won't have to, you know, run off into the wilderness and live like a hermit because you can't call us anymore. Well, that's what I do. You do. That's when you, when yeah. you moved into your house, it felt like you were moving into the wilderness away from civilization. Yes. <laughs> now I don't feel that way anymore because now I'm, I'm home. Good. You are home. All right. Uh, remember the record your favorite scene contest. Record those. Get them in. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead or use uh, or visit amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do all of your shopping at Amazon. That is uh, the two best ways to help support the show. And uh, I think that's enough of me rambling on. So we'll see you next week, everyone. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thank you for listening. Ciao.